Welcome to the Soccer Podcast, where we talk soccer in Delaware, soccer in the rest of the world, and everything in between. My name is Sebastian, and this week I'm joined here by Dwayne. What's up? What's up, man? I'm happy. Yeah, I bet Argentina stole the U20 World Cup. Argentina didn't steal anything. Uh, we can we can 100 gladly 100 talk to, talk about that. I'd be more than happy about it. You guys just finessed your way into the U20 World Cup. Listen, I don't know what you're talking about. All I know is there was a there was a problem, um, in um what was Indonesia. it Indonesia between Indonesia and Israel. And so Indonesia is no longer hosting the World Cup and no longer allowed to play in it. So now not able to qualify for the 2026 World Cup. Yeah. So now Argentina is going to take this. Their spot as hosting the other 20 men's World Cup. And just because the rules are the rules, Argentina did had not qualified to the under 20 World Cup. So now they are in because they're the host. How great would it be if Argentina won the under twenty World Cup? <laughs> FIFA, the FIFA offices might burn down. I bring my. I think Julian Alvarez might still be able to qualify for the uh, under twenty World Cup. No, <laughs> there's no. If you're a World Cup winner, <laughs> what do you gain from going to the U twenty World Cup? Uh, <laughs> what is he? he and he starts at his. It's not like he's looking for minutes. Uh, Tiago Almada is already 21, so he's too he's too old. He can't go. See, that's the problem now. You guys are going to be like, "Oh, can Messi be one of our three overage <laughs> players?" There's no overage players in there. I, I know, but that's the thought process. That's what's going through <laughs> the Argentine's head. No, Tiago Almada is, is is 21 years old, but you know, um, we got Maximo Perone, who is 20 years old, and he can play. He's at City. So we'll we'll put a squad together. You got Nico Paz who's at Real Madrid. Yeah. So there is a list. So here's the interesting part. There's a list of 14 players. Um uh there's a list of there's a list of 14 players that um or 16 players, sorry, 16 players that Mancini is looking at that are all Argentinian, but because of the EU's like rules you can get that double citizenship that they're going to um look at it because so i don't know if anybody's followed it but italy played two games in the was it euro qualifiers lost to england and beat um who did italy beat the other day they beat somebody two nothing i think i'm not italian um Italy beats two. Italy beat Malta two nothing. Um, the the guy that scored the one goal against Italy or against England in the first goal against um Malta is Matteo Rotegi, who plays in an Argentinian club. Is Argentinian is on loan for Boca Juniors. His dad was the Argentinian field hockey coach before. Um. And because his grandfather is Italian or was from Italy, he is he got called up and he's on the Italian national team. Um, so there's 16 players that Mancini's apparently like looking at, and some of these players are actually already like first team players on their on their roster, on the rosters of where they play. But there is a lot of international players 
So that's going to be an interesting one. Like, for example, you got um, Mateo Tanlongo, who plays at Sporting Lisboa. Uh, Bruno Amione, who plays in Sampdoria. Uh, Julian Aude, who was transferred to LA Galaxy. You got the two Carboni brothers, uh, one that plays at Inter Milan, the one that plays at Monza. Lucas Roman, who got transferred to Barcelona. Um, so there's there's some there's some uh, Argentinians everywhere. Well, I mean, you got Matias Sole, who plays at Juve, who's already getting some first team minutes, and he's been there for a while. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if any of those players end up getting picked up. But yeah, um, and also since since the since we last had the podcast. Um, Messi is now has now has 102 goals for the Argentine national team. He got to go 100 the other day against Curacao, and then got to 101. Curacao, come on, man. Curacao, come on, man. I was saying it how we say it in, in Spanish. No, I'm just saying, like, yeah, great job. You scored against Curacao. Scored scored six goals in in 20 minutes. I mean, does he want to play the Delaware All Stars? <laughs> In, in Curacao, Curacao's. I looked at Curacao's entire roster. They all play in Curacao. No, the majority of those players are playing in 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 Europe. Two of the players are playing are starters on teams that play in England. One of them is is a starter at Watford. Who? Huh? Watford. Watford, man. Is Watford even in the Premier League this year? Are they not? Yeah, they are. I don't know. They're one of those teams that they're in one year, they're out the next yeah. year. They're... Um, they don't they don't stay in the Premier League for long. No, they're not. Sorry, my bad. Yeah, they might be on their way back. <laughs> but then you got a player that's also in Birmingham, plus Birmingham. So like Birmingham they're, City, they're... huh? Birmingham City. Yeah, not Birmingham, Alabama. Well, yeah, instead of the United States. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, I thought, I thought it was good. Um, so yeah, um, uh, the U S about the land, the starting goalkeeper is the starting goalkeeper for the Columbus crew sucks. (laughs) (laughs) When do we, when did the union play them? Hey, hey, can, can we, can we, can we quickly bring up something? That you need to be called out for. You would call me out for. You you got to be called out. Call me out. Um, you had a prediction. <laughs> you had a prediction last Friday on the podcast. Oh yeah, that was bad. <laughs> you had you a know prediction. who sucks. You had a prediction. Didn't you say six nothing? Yeah, you know who sucks. Nine minutes in, the union yeah. two nothing, and now all I could think of as I was watching the game, sitting next to my wife, and I was like. Man, Dwayne is sitting there right now. <laughs> Dude, I'll just say this. That stadium was in shock. I'm sure. Like they they honestly started cheering 30, a lot. Well, 30 plus games without um losing. No, that without getting two goals scored against them at home. Yeah. Like, it was bad. Um they honestly started cheering. I think they thought it was going to just be a normal day in the office. So Jack Elliott figured out he wasn't fast. He's getting cooked, son. <laughs> I don't know who number 77 is on Orlando City, but he was putting, I don't know if he was fast or if Jack Elliott was just that slow. Uh, Angulo. 
boy got the Ivan Angulo. Ivan Angulo. I can't really tell you if he has the burners or not when you're running against somebody that's slow, but so he's on loan. Um, <laughs> he's on loan from Palmeiras. Uh, he might have the burners. Yeah, I think he he probably does. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna make excuses and say, well, the union only had four available substitutes anyway because everybody was on international duty, but. If they weren't getting burnt, they'd have been all right. Yeah. And Julian Carranza was out with a red card. He got red carded? Yeah, two yellows against Montreal, remember? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Couldn't couldn't lay off the refs. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, but, but, I mean, hey, guess what? You know what? They play again tomorrow. They play sporting Kansas City. I'll be there. Me too. It's funny because last week they were like, we play Sporting Kansas City April 1st. I thought it was two weeks away and it was really back to back weekends. Yeah, back to back weekends. Uh, and then Tuesday and then they're gone for a few weeks. Uh, we have an interview today. Yeah. We have an interview that is not a convention interview, but it's an interview that we recorded a few weeks ago. Um, I mean, we, we need to refer to him and we talk about it at the beginning of the, the episode, like, you know, what do we refer him to him as? But it's coach educator is, is a good one. Uh, James Wagenschutz is is on the podcast today, um, and we learned a lot about warm ups and nutrition and body, and like he gives us a lot of tips. He, he's it's a it's a good it's a really good interview. Um, so yeah, so we'll we'll listen to we'll listen to Wags now. Uh, Dwayne, uh, you know that I took my C course. I've talked about this before. I took my C course. In Bryn Athen College with uh with our good good old buddy Soccer Dan, right? Yeah, you were moving mattresses and we moved some mattresses and things like that with Mike Barr. Well, in that course, uh our guest today, uh I think slightly intimidated the character the the not characters, the candidates, uh, because he would work out in the morning or in between the sessions, and we were all deathly afraid of like uh um but at the same time, he was there as a, and, and he'll describe exactly what the role was. But I think guest 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 instructor uh, would be the would be the term. Um, but he is the person that I learned the most about periodization with so far in my coaching education stuff. Because, and not only that, he gave me a really really, or he gave us entirely as a course a really good piece of advice which is when it comes to coaching education and when you're talking about somebody else's session, your feelings do not matter. Um, in the sense that like, oh, hey, you did a good job. What does that mean? Uh, being specific is, is critical um, and using, using actual facts. Um, so uh, James Wagenschutz is on the, uh, on the podcast with us today. James, I... So I'm gonna read your 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 all your titles, and you tell me which one you like the most. Applied sports scientist, coach educator, periodization specialist, athletic development and reconditioning coach, strength and conditioning coach, and personal trainer. I think it depends on who you're talking to, right? Coach J- educator, I th- I would say I like the. I like the reconditioned, spe- what is it? Reconditioned specialist? Reconditioning coach? 
reconditioning coach, right? Like you're out of condition. So I'm going to recondition you. <laughs> well, first of all, thanks a lot for, for having me on today. And uh, yeah, that was a really nice opportunity to come into the C license with Mike and uh, was really honored with that opportunity. And uh, what I would say is that when we're watching other people's sessions, we have to keep our emotions and feelings in check about what you think you would do and what you might want to do relative to somebody else's session because it's their session. And the moment you start infusing your ideas, your emotions, we start to actually view what's happening in a different lens rather than actually what is happening on the field. So that's where trying to remain as objective as possible allows you to then absorb what is really happening. Uh, when it comes to the different titles and roles, I think those are maybe things that I have done, but as we know, titles and really don't define the person in those roles. Um, so I would say at the at the heart of heart, I'm a coach, and more often than not, I find myself being a coach educator. Um. All right. So one of the things that in in your roles, um, and I and at the time when I met you, you were working at the Philadelphia Union. Um. But one of the roles, one of the things you talked about in you in the course, at least that that I was in, and one of the things you you presented at the convention this past year or in a couple of weeks ago in Philadelphia was about periodization. So can you give us uh, an overview of a what does periodization mean? Um, and then how does it apply to the different levels of the game and specifically for Duane and I who coach at the youth level? How does that how does that apply? Periodization really is just a fancy word for planning, and you can plan for short-term, medium-term, or long-term objectives or goals that you might have. And the terminology actually comes from a long, long time ago when you actually in the Greco-Roman era is when it really started. So we're talking a really long time ago. Uh, but then it picked up steam uh, in the Eastern Bloc countries during kind of the quote-unquote doping era of, of some Eastern countries. And that's really when periodization or planning was, was built around was actually when planned doping regimes were taking place for athletes. Um, and then it's obviously matriculated and evolved since then. And in many ways, it's probably scared people into, oh, this is a scary word. I don't know what it means. But really, if we start to break down things, what we're talking about is looking things on like maybe a global view. So if you're an Olympian and you're looking at things in a four-year cycle. So we're, we're mapping out things over four years to prepare for the Olympics. Um, and that could be construed as a macro cycle, but you can also look at it as a yearly plan, which is also kind of in our soccer world, what's more happening. Like if you look at our A youth or A senior pro license, they have to plan out a year. So you would be looking at a macro cycle. And then mesocycles are anywhere between four to eight weeks. Generally, you could look at it from like a month. Uh, so the month of February, what is your planning? And then when you look at a microcycle, it's usually a week or game to game. And, and really what we're talking about is building a plan based upon when your schedules, when your games are. And so it's really just kind of have an idea of what it looks, what does it look like training? Are you training once a week, twice a week, three times a week, four times relative to the game and then planning your sessions on multiple levels. One is the, the tactical plan, uh, what you want your players to doing, when you want them to doing it in and out of system. And then 
uh, from a physical standpoint, when do you really want to go hard? When do you want to create overloads? When do you want to create underloads? And then getting down into the specifics about doing it for positions, doing it for individual players, uh, those that are coming back from injury. So Dwayne mentioned reconditioning. Really, that term is, is more so about coming back from injury. So how do you reintegrate a player back into training and recondition them back to where they need to be? And um, so that's really kind of the broad overview is, is really thinking about planning. And the more and more focus we can be about our training exercise, like the actual exercise within the training session and having attention to detail, I think is where we get our most bang for our buck. So when you talk about a youth, uh, can you provide a little bit more context? So let's just say we're talking about, so both, so Dwayne, Dwayne currently coaches a U13 girls team, for example, that plays for the most part, one game a weekend. And then uh, three times in the spring season, he'll have a tournament with, uh, with three games in a weekend, for example. Yeah. So that means you're training two or three times a week with one game. Um, presume maybe 90 minute training sessions. That's kind of what the standard is. Uh, really has to do with field rentals <laughs> and the number of teams <laughs> using fields more so than anything. Um, so then when you look at, okay, I'm training three times a week and I've got a game on a weekend. Uh, one of the greatest examples I ever saw, and you won't see this because it's not on film, but if you hold up your hand and, and you look at the way your hand goes, that basically you could apply this strategy toward your game, which is essentially Coming off of a game, you want to slowly increase the load to the point where kind of in the midweek, it's at your, your kind of your highest load, and then you taper off toward the next game. And so it, it kind of has a little bit of a bell curve approach to it within the week. Um, and a lot of that has to do, or most of it has to do with what's called supercompensation and the stress fatigue response. So basically when we're stressed or when players are stressed, we're asking them to run and dribble and shoot and make decisions they're put under some sort of stress and we want them to adapt and get better at those stressors that we're putting them through. So that's where being really specific within the training exercise about what you want to achieve with your objective becomes the primary focus. And so we create situations where, you know, whether it's number of players, how long we go for, how much we're resting for, the you know length and width of the sessions, all those different types of parameters that we could put into to create some sort of adaptation. And when we come off of a rest day, we, we want to slowly reintroduce that concept. We don't want to go too hard, too fast, because then we get too fast of an accumulated load. And we can't allow ourselves to recover and redo it again at a really high quality. Um, and then typically middle of the week, we were to add more load because we're probably 72 hours or more removed from when we play a game. So, right. So Dwayne, if you're training on a Wednesday and you play on a Saturday, that would typically be kind of your heaviest conditioning day from a physical standpoint, but that doesn't mean you're training slow the rest of the days. It just means you're being, really conscious of how you're building the exercise so that certain players are not fatigued all the time because then the quality of their actions go down and uh, they're not able to execute what you want to do. So it's really kind of thinking about a bell curve approach throughout the week. And if I'm a, if I'm a youth coach training three days a week, I'm thinking, uh, I mean, again, really specific context, you know, turf, weather, 
player availability, player readiness, all these things come into play when building a session. But basically, if I were to go like a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Tuesday is kind of an on-ramp day where you're kind of reintroducing concepts. Maybe it's a review from the weekend, introducing new ideas. Um, but the overall load is is moderate, if you will. And then the Wednesday session is going to be more of an intense session or a hard session. And then we would taper down on a Thursday and be more of a preparatory type of a session to kind of, okay, here's what we talked about throughout the week. Let's review it. Um, and then use that as a, as a, a chance to prep them for the game on Saturday. What I, what I find super interesting in this and, and I, and I found it and, and I feel like, you know, periodization is one of those things that when I, when I started my C course and now going through my B is something that I've really started paying more attention to and, and trying to be more thoughtful with. And I think in what I really appreciate you saying is the fact that it it's, it's planning, right? And I think it's in that that becomes almost the most critical part of it. At times, um, we either we as soccer coaches or others view soccer coaches as the idea that it's just showing up, putting cones on a field, and just uh, getting the kicks to kick a ball, right? But there's so much more that goes into it, and I think it's super intentional with being intentional with your time and prioritizing what's what's important, right? And I and I think, and from what you said, it's it regardless of the level of play, right? Like we could, we could talk at any level of play. Um, the idea of physical development is physical development, right? Like it's, it's for any player that can, that can do this. Um, at what age, like if you started this at the younger age groups, right? At like, let's just say 99. So you 11, you 12, even though it might not directly have an impact on them from a physical standpoint, if they haven't, you know, hit, hit their growth spurts and, and things like that. Does it just start building the idea of really good habits or does it have an impact? That's a loaded question, <laughs> <laughs> which is really, it's, it's a, it's an interesting question because I would say that in general, there is a, there's a feeling in our country that we can add more load to nine, 10, 11 year olds because we see that they're generally anaerobic. They're bouncing around, they're running around. They want activity all the time and they can recover fairly quickly, which is mostly true given their physiology. So it's, it's mostly true that younger kids are more anaerobic, which means they can do shorter bursts of activities, recover faster and do it again. That's also part of their age group characteristics. And when we think about their needs for learning and perhaps not always, but perhaps shorter attention spans. They need perhaps uh, activities in shorter duration that they, I mean, I think that's one of the things we hear all the time is focus. And well, it's not necessarily in line with their development right. to do it for long periods of time. So how can you be creative while still staying true to some sort of game model or style of play that you want, even at the young ages? Players are extremely intuitive, uh, and I think we don't give them enough credit. And I think young players can solve problems relatively fast should they get enough repetition of it. And that's really where it comes into the periodization, which is being strategic about not just laying cones down a goal and saying playing, but, okay, now we're going to add an extra goal. We're going to add an extra player. You're going to go down a player and creating certain constraints for them to problem solve within it. And giving them enough repetition of seeing similar activities so that they can solve it in a, in a manner that's specific to them, but also within your overall style of play. And I think that it's 
it would be remiss if we don't give young players an opportunity to start to develop those ideas early. Uh, but ultimately, hope, giving them opportunities to make decisions. Um, we have to be careful a little bit distinguishing between male and female uh, at around 11 and 12 because of the younger girls going through uh, puberty or their menstrual cycles earlier than uh, puberty earlier than boys. And so they can start to go through growth spurts earlier. So it's really uh, paying attention to that age group, that 11, 12 and early 13 for girls. Um, because if we do add too much load and they are going through ghost birth, then you'll have Osgood Slaughter's, Sievers, which heals issues, uh, patella, femoral syndrome, like through the through the knees. Um, and especially with so many players playing on artificial turf these days, um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of pounding that that happens in our sport. There's a lot of breaking and stopping. And um, we have to be very conscious of that. And so it's there's not a one size fits all approach. And that's, I think many ways, what keeps people coming back to this topic. How do I do this for my team? And I've got 14 individuals at 11 years old. So it's generally not applied. Periodization is generally not applied to the younger ages. It's generally applied to those that have already gone through their growth spurt, gone through puberty and applied toward 15 years and older. But if you are, planning and have the best interests of players in front of you, you're going to take the time to develop a training session or in a training exercise within that session that's conscious of how much effort and work that they're putting into uh, the development. Well, and I think now when and we look at players that that play multiple sports or do multiple activities, and then I think the other part is also knowing your players and where they're coming from and you know, I, I coach a high school girls program right now. And, and a lot of, a lot of the questions that we ask is what did you eat today? You know, did you drink enough water before you even show up to training? Right. Like, because it's not like, Oh yeah, I had a granola bar at six 30 in the morning. Well, it's three o'clock in the afternoon. How much water did you have? Well, I had this little mini water bottle. That's eight ounces. Like, well, probably not enough. Um, how much does that play into a factor understanding those outside factors to a certain extent playing multiple sports? And I know it's a loaded question, but, but can you, can you touch on just the, the importance of either a understanding your player's nutrition or, or, or where they're coming from before you get them? And, uh, and how does it, how does multiple sports play into it? Yeah, I'll, I'll start with the latter, which is, I and mean, then you'll see it. I mean, I know we're on, we're on zoom today and, the audience may not see this, but I'm wearing a shirt that promotes multi-sport uh, because I believe in multi-sport. And that's also my bias. I was a multi-sport athlete growing up. So I very much believe younger players need to experience different sports, different games, different activities, music, art um, can all play a role in a child's development that will lend itself to problem solving within the game. It may not have direct transfer, but there's a learning that taking that takes place, and that learning can transfer. And so, if younger players are exposed to multiple sports and they walk into your next youth soccer training, you do need to know what their schedule is. You do need to know how long was that baseball practice, how long was that lacrosse practice, uh, how many times have you done it already this week? You know, by the time. Dwayne, if we go back to your team and you're on your third session for the week, 
they might have already had seven training sessions that week if you compare different sports. So we definitely want to get their schedules and that requires time. And, you know, we all know the quote about, about caring, right? You know, they don't, they don't care what you know until you know that you care. And so when, how do you do that? Well, you pay attention to them. Hey, little Johnny, little Susie, what is your schedule? Mom and dad, get them involved so that you know and have an idea that they might have gone through a piano lesson, a lacrosse practice before they get to you. Okay, so then how do you help them from a nutritional standpoint? It, yeah, it starts at home. I mean, it, it starts at home and, and parent education, I think, is the place to begin when it comes to nutrition. It's not players, not on the younger ages, because uh, theoretically, most players are not making their own breakfast, lunch, and dinners. Theoretically, they're not making their own snacks. And in certain school systems, uh, some schools are better set up to prepare to provide meals for students and others come at a cost. So that you've got this disparity between who can afford a meal throughout the day. Um, but we know, I think you anybody would argue that if they don't eat well and they don't eat well consistently, then they're going to be in a deficit going in and then they're not going to be able to handle the stress and adapt the way we want them to. And more importantly, I think proper nutrition or good fuel helps fuel the brain to be able to process the information that's coming. Um, our brains run on glucose primarily. So that's carbohydrates, uh, which is why orange slices literally at halftime could be the best thing for young kids um, to get some of those simple sugars going. When it comes to water and hydration, my kids, I tell, we had a joke actually this morning with my family that you basically that when they get to be older, they're going to lament the fact that dad said you need to re rehydrate in the morning with 16 to 20 ounces of water uh, every morning. And my kids are sitting there going, dad, I'm, you know, I can't even finish the one cup. I said, I know, but that we're, we're dehydrated when we sleep, we wake up, we're in a dehydrated state. So we need to rehydrate and get, and it's amazing what happens throughout the day. Just if you take a break, uh, go for a five minute walk and drink, 20 ounces or 30 ounces of water totally changes for you. And so I would, I would say that if anything, hydration through primarily water, you don't really need a sports drink until you're really sweating profusely. You're really working hard. Drinking a sports drink throughout the day is not necessary. Um, but having good water uh, throughout the day is massively important. But the body armor. Sorry. If question. What? Put the body armors down. <laughs> yeah, those are totally not needed. I mean, that's the problem, right? I mean, those companies are so good at marketing and they're so good at, at putting them where you want access to them, but they are not necessary unless you're really, really sweating and in high intense activity for, I would say for, if you're doing something over 45 to 60 minutes, less than that, it's not needed. I think the hardest part what you said about nutrition, right? Is I'm thinking of kids like high school kids, right? Where they may eat lunch at 10 30 and they have no control they have no control over when lunch is served and then they have a game at 3 30 right no control because of a lack of referees they're not playing a good opponent so they get the 3 30 time slot so like i think that's the hardest part from a nutrition standpoint is how do i take care of my body 
Or on the flip side, if you have lunch at 1030, you have an away game, you have to travel an hour or two and you don't play until six o'clock at night. You know, how do I take care of my body? Like, how do I, what, like, what do I pack in my bag to make sure I'm prepared? Yeah, that's a great question, Dwayne. I think it, it challenges even the, the best of adults when they're got a busy day with multiple meetings and they're, you know, it's uh, it challenges the best of us to plan ahead and to think ahead and within your own program, perhaps there's a one page flyer with uh, tips pregame, you know, so during the day you give them two or three examples of foods that they could eat. Now it also, we have to be conscious of, can these people afford it? Can they, or can you afford it as a program? So can you look ahead and say, wow, instead of getting all these really cool backpacks or shiny jackets, you know, well, we could probably spend $250 instead of the, on food and make sure that we have a granola bar, we have um, mandarin oranges, we have grapes, um, we have bags of pretzels or things of that nature that may contribute or may help uh, these young athletes snack throughout the day. I know that's something that I started doing with the high school, I'm a high school coach as well. And I see that as well, Dwayne, specifically, these guys get out of class uh, and we have a game. Thankfully our home games are a little bit later. So I've just basically said, this is our system of when I want you to eat. And if you're not, then here's what you can eat, you know, an hour before the game. And, um, and then I've just allocated funds to having resources available on the sideline for them. And they take advantage of it. They take advantage of it because uh, they see it. I make the correlation between fuel in their brain, ability to be at their best, ability to be support their teammates. And um, otherwise they're doing themselves and their teammates a disservice. Absolutely. Um but so many questions pop into my head as you talk. I, about got, I got another one already. Yeah. I I feel like there's so many things that we can go, we can go into. Go ahead, Dwayne. So well, like, so for, you know, at the high school level, preventing cramps, right? I think that's a, a tough one um, where athletes are always cramping, maybe overhydrating, underhydrating, not eating enough. What, what would you say is the best advice for, you know, to prevent cramping for an athlete? I'll be honest. I mean, I want to be really clear. I'm not a, I'm not a registered dietitian. I'm not a registered sports nutritionist. So, you know, that legally, wasn't a long I'm, list of titles. <laughs> <laughs> well, but basically what it means is legally, I'm not allowed to give advice, a specific yeah. advice. Yeah. But I mean, I can give general tips. I can give general guidance. Having seen, I've seen it at all levels, um, professional players, you know, our youth national teams, et cetera. Uh, cramping is multifactorial. It's not just a potassium sodium imbalance. Um, a lot it could be from overloading their muscles because of um, various loading on their joints throughout the day. One of the things that I will also offer, well, two things actually. One is a person's ability to self-regulate most of the time comes down to their ability to breathe and whether they know how to do various regulatory breathing habits throughout the day when they're under stress. And a high school player is always under stress because of school, societal pressures, academics, perhaps workloads, uh, family influences, their, their thrust to be autonomous. <laughs> you know, they, they really want to be independent. Um, 
and a lot of that comes down to some simple breathing techniques that can help them deal with some of the stress. Um, the second thing is cramping can also, because of that, they, they haven't been able to regulate their breathing or their stress. They're really like strained and excited and over nervous and our body can hold on to that tension. And then it can manifest through a calf cramp uh, or a side stitch. Uh, and then sometimes there's just the, there's things that they need to kind of work through to figure out how to get over it. Um, there are multiple things out there like Medi lights, uh, Petty lights. There's some drinks that contain some extra, you know, potassium, sodium, uh, to be able to get some sort of ion balance going on in the, in the muscles, uh, bananas, you know, things of that nature, like the old school potassium. Um, but it's so highly individualized. Like I know for myself, I do this annual race up Pikes Peak out of Colorado Springs, Every year I do it, and every year afterwards I say I don't want to do it, and then March first I sign up and do it again. <laughs> and uh, and I'm a heavy sweater, and I have to. I've learned over the last you know ten to twelve years of doing this race of really figuring out when to take it. Uh, some sort of maybe it's a salt tablet. Uh, how much do I take it? What what type of uh, quick fuel will work for me in those situations? Because we can't just give every kid the same thing and expect it and respond the same way. So it's, it's a challenge. Um, but I would offer that lack of nutrition or lack of being properly fed three to four times a day as an athlete is, is a contributing cause. I think that's a, that's a really good tip though. At the, the fact that like, it's not just a, a blanket. Oh, here it is. Like, this is, this will work for everybody. Yeah, it's I I really like that because I think it's also I think it does put put a little bit of responsibility not only on the players but on the coaches and the, the school if you're in a school setting to to find ways or give give tips or, or or ways for for students to be able to find those answers for what is important to them right like um I wanna I wanna before we before we start wrapping up I do want to touch base on on one of the sessions that you did at the convention which had to do with activation. Um, and I think, uh, I have like three or four different things that I, but I'm going to try to narrow it down <laughs> one. <laughs> well, cause I feel like we can, we can sit here and talk for hours, but, um, <clears throat> but one, um, what, what do you think in general? Cause I feel like I've, I've watched, I I'm a big fan of warmups. I'm a big fan of showing up early to games and watching warmups and at different sports, basketball, soccer, whatever it is. <clears throat> If I can show up early to a game and watch somebody warm up, I'm really excited about that. Um, do you think in general those have changed over the years? And I feel like they've gotten shorter and, and maybe that's just me making it up or not, but have they gotten shorter? And if so, why? Um, and what is a proper activation for a game at the youth or high school level? Great question. And my brain immediately was thinking about, you know, LeBron passed the scoring title the other yep. day. And I have a friend that works, I have two friends that work in the NBA. And they tell me that some of these guys warm up for like three hours and shoot around and stretching and lifting and doing all kinds of things prior to a game. And I think, man, that's madness. But the reality is, is they're on the road and they're actually probably don't practice a whole lot. So that warm up is their practice time. Um, Within our context of soccer, warmups 
have and have not evolved. And when you think about a youth and high school player, there's this connotation that it's done for injury prevention. Well, theoretically, prevent, injury prevention does not exist because you can't actually prevent any injuries. You can only hope to reduce the risk. So everything is about a risk assessment. And when I look at a warm-up for a youth or a high school player, uh, an activation prior to a game, I look at <clears throat> how do I create an environment for them to prepare themselves so that they can be at their best when the whistle blows to start the game, not 10 minutes later. When the whistle blows, are they are they ready to go? And we could break it into chunks and say physical or mental or social, tactical, whatever you want to break it on into. For me, it's it's holistic. So are they just as the individual athlete ready to go when the whistle blows? What that means is if you're playing high school match in 40 minute halves, which I do where I play two times 40 minutes, yep, same here. 80, that's 80 minutes, assuming no extra added time and it's regular season. So if I put a 45 minute warm up on top of 80 minutes, that's 125 minutes. Now, who plays a 125 minute soccer game? <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> I don't know, man. If you watch the World Cup, they were adding seven minutes on each half. They kind of got <laughs> close, right? It got a little. Well, that's just it. That's just it. You have these World Cup teams, and uh, there was a wonderful podcast done recently by the head of uh, fitness for the Croatian FA, who was basically the head strength coach for the Croatian FA, and um, he had talked about the fact that you know four years prior they had actually experienced playing a hundred minutes, 110 minutes, a lot um, to get to where they did four years ago. And then again, this year and this world cup, they had to do the same thing. But when we're talking about a youth player, in my opinion, they don't need more than 25 minutes on the field. They really don't. It comes down to planning and having it structured. So what I like the, the guys, at least the high school team that I coach and the youth teams that I've worked with is I want them to have some free time. I want them to explore the ball and social and getting themselves organized. And then there's a particular point time where they come together. We review the details of the, of the, the game, and then they get into their dynamic warmups and movements, but all those are very short. They're done fairly quick. Uh, if they want to do any long, slow stretching, it's done before then. So everything that they do on the field is relatively quick. Um, the actual stretching activation parts, only six to seven minutes, maybe eight, depending upon um, a number of factors. But really, I don't ever go over eight minutes. Then we get into some sort of, uh, you know, 4v4 plus three. So quote unquote possession. But for me, it's directional. And then they get into the passing patterns, finishing, shooting, and then they have a free time for themselves to get themselves before we we do the anthem and, and take the field. So I've gotten it down to about 25 minutes from start to finish. And I would encourage most youth teams and coaches to, to do something similar. If you're in a tournament environment, obviously you need to modify based upon heat, weather, number of games, et cetera. Uh, but most players don't need more than that time. And when you add more time to that, it's just too much more load. And now the fatigue 
response to the stress in the game is our, your starting point is lower than where you want them at. Because we say, oh, we're ready 100%. No, you're already starting at maybe 80, 85% because you've just taken away a lot of their energy. So I would encourage some smart planning and to look, look at it and say, yeah, can I get it down to maybe 25, 26 minutes? Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say that's accurate for me. I don't know about you, Sebastian, but I say kids get there 45 minutes beforehand, and then we start with 30 on the clock and then probably end with five minutes left on the clock so they can get, you know, obviously shin guards, all that extra stuff, captains, everything backed up, and they're ready to roll. Yeah, I mean, this this notion that these players need all these extra touches before the game on the ball, I mean, you know, it's philosophical. I know with the Philadelphia Union, we would basically integrate uh, the physical dynamic movements with asking with partners to get touches. And that's a philosophical choice that they made at the time. I don't know if they do it anymore, but that was a time. So it was back and forth. It was, we would do some activation movements. We would get some touches on the ball. We'd go back to activation moments. That was just a choice. Um, for me, I want, I want a lot of that stuff to happen socially, organically among players, not with any coach directed well, I think it. I think it goes back to to it goes back to two main things. If we were to kind of sum up everything, one proper planning, right? Proper planning and proper preparation. And two, I think it's it's not necessarily putting the responsibility on the player per se, like to use that like official term, but more of the idea that letting the player kind of figure out their own rhythm too right like there's there's a level of that within the structured environment that we as coaches can provide is is giving the the players opportunities as you said before right to make decisions right and if we don't give them the ability to problem solve or make decisions it becomes very difficult for them to be able to play on the field because again we don't got we all we all can think that we have a joystick on the sideline and that we're controlling them but we're not um but we'd I, all be undefeated <laughs> but I do think, but I do think it, it does come down to, to that, at least from, from my, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, is, is that, is that accurate? Planning. It all starts with planning and coaches need to take the time. If they really truly care about the teams they're involved with and the players they're working with, and this is with youth players, there's somebody else's child. How could we not take the time to care and plan to to work with somebody else's child. That's, that's an unbelievable gift. And it requires time to plan out a training session, plan out an exercise. When it comes to autonomy, we do need to be careful, though, of how early we're giving players too much autonomy. Because if we're talking five and six and seven-year-olds, well, yeah. it, uh, it's, a, it's a huge paint-by-numbers experiment on the field. And somebody's going to probably end up injured because they're going to be might throwing be food. Tree or, by the time you let them warm up. I'm right. Exactly. So creating a structure can sound intimidating, uh, but it's not about intimidating them at all. And it's about just letting them know there's some standards and there's a structure to this. And then within that, they have freedom to operate. And I, I players want to know, it's just like a child. They want to know what are the expectations of me as a child in this family? What are the expectations of me uh then the more clarity we can provide to them early, that's so helpful for them. And then they will be more giving back to you. But I think that if you have the structure, then they can have the autonomy within the structure. 
So yeah, having them have their own one to two minutes to stretch on their own, socialize on their own, it's fine. Um, the pulse of the team, the group that's in front of them and knowing them and, and knowing uh, who they have in front of them will, will aid in the ability to provide those guidelines. Um, James, I, 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 uh, I learned a lot uh, for now the second time uh, listening to you. <laughs> um, but, but I really appreciate you coming on because I do think um, it's a topic of conversation that, that can be overwhelming or maybe in times intimidating. But I think, I think if we, if we look at it from the idea of just of planning and, and being able to just take that time to prioritize the, the importance of it, um, I think we'll, we can all do a better job with, with the players. I, I, you said it, right. It's, it's a immense responsibility that we have taking care of somebody's, somebody's kid. Um, so I, I really do appreciate you coming on. Um, I do think we can, we can probably do a part two, a part three, part four, part five of this. Uh, Cause we didn't even get to Like I had three other, four other questions in there that we didn't get, to, we didn't even, <laughs> I had a whole we, list. We didn't even talk about technology, which is an, I think an entire topic of itself that we can talk about. Um, but, but I want to be mindful of your time. So I, I really appreciate you, you coming on today. Thank you. Dwayne, Sebastian, thanks for having me on today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. All right, Dwayne. Um, I, I want to bring up something and and this is kind of, this is going to be my early, uh, Dan Simmons player of the, or fair play of the week award. Um, so I want to, I wanted to quickly kind of briefly talk about the the tough moments of sometimes not necessarily being a soccer coach but just being a person in general um this week was kind of a tough week for me between last week and this week i think over the last seven days has been tough 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 time um and i think the the hard part sometimes when when we look at coaches in general um we know we gotta we gotta remember that Coaches have lives, coaches have families, coaches have things that are going on in their lives in general. So sometimes, and again, this is per- personally, I mean, I choose to have this profession, right? I choose to want to coach soccer. I choose to want to be around kids. I choose to want to help other kids develop on top of the fact that I have my own my own two kids. Um, but it's sometimes the difficult part is when you when you feel like that's that doesn't it's and you none of us do it because we want the accolades or the appreciation but it is very difficult when there's visible signs that people don't appreciate it um or there's visible signs that um that you're it, it's almost that 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 feeling of failure right you feel like you failed at something and you've you didn't accomplish what you were looking to do and you yeah so it was it was a very tough week from that standpoint <clears throat> for me personally, but I do think that um and again it goes back to the the Dan Simmons fair play of the week. The my support system, my wife, my kids, my family, you, Kyle, my Mike, Lauren, the 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 players at Odessa, the coaches at Odessa have definitely helped. Um and that's been the bright spot of the week. It's been being able to go to the games, being able to go to the practices talking to you and Kyle, talking to my buddy Fields, like those have been the really bright spots of the week. Um, so that's kind of my, like, I want to want to just send a shout out to, to everybody. That's kind of that support system in my family. Cause it was, it was kind of a kind of a crappy week. And, um, but you know, 
I'm glad I'm glad I have the support system that I have to help me get through it. So Pierce. Yeah. Have you ever had that that feeling of like failure to a certain extent? Yeah. I know I'm trying to I'm trying to poke some vulnerability in you because I know that's not necessarily yeah, I felt like I failed and I just go out and say, Man, I sucked or we sucked or they sucked. No, not they. It's always we. Um <laughs> No, yeah, I've felt that way before when, I mean, I mean, there's just some days where you plan for, you know, your practice to go well, you plan on having a good week, you're, you know, you look, you kind of almost look too forward yeah, in advance and then like reality sets in and, you know, other external factors set in too, right? Like maybe you really do plan to have a really good week in soccer and it, the kids just, you know, they're going through something at school or something like that. It's a hard week or you know, socially or stuff's going on or just don't know, right? All those external factors start to pour in and reality is you just got to battle through it. You got to, you got to connect the next pass. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think that, I think the hard... like put it into soccer terms, you know, you pass the ball out of bounds 10 times. Yeah. Connect the next one. Win yeah. the next tackle. Yeah. Well, and that's, a, and that's a good, really good way to put it. I think, you know, I think the feelings that I've been having have been um it's a weird of it's a weird feeling of just again, it's that like a little bit of that failure and just not necessarily having control of certain things. And I I don't know again, I think it, it's sometimes when you it's hard when you start questioning your 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 life choices or your career choices i think it's that's that's when yeah when things kind of go a little darker um but again i i and it's less about the results i don't i don't necessarily measure success based on the results i get uh obviously again i want to win i like to win i'm very competitive like more most people are but um but i yeah it was it was it was interesting i just think what's your why yeah, and I think that's the that's a measure of success, right? Yeah, that's and that's a good question. Um, I mean, for me, it is it. I go back to the the quote from the book Legacy, like it's plant seeds for trees you'll never see grow. Like that's the why. Is for me to hopefully help somebody, and 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 again, sometimes there's a there's a slow burn moment to it, right? Like there's that like almost I call it a long con, but it's not a long con. You're not trying to con anybody, but like there is that like. So I had a moment with Natalie last year towards the end of the fall season where she was like, um, I don't know if I talked about it in the podcast before or not, but um, we had a moment where Natalie came up to me and she was coaching uh, her, the girls team that she was coaching at Delaware Union. And she was like, today I was, today I understood something you did my senior year or my junior year of high school when when you coached me at Delaware Union, I I today I understood that moment. I was like, wow, like that took four years or three years for that kind of to set in. But like clearly that moment or my my action in that moment, you know, stuck. And it wasn't until you're put in that coaching position where you have a very similar environment where now you're like, ah, that's why he did this. Yeah, right, like, sometimes you can't figure things out until you actually get put in that same scenario. But I think that's right. that's realistically like you asked me what my why is. That's that's the why. It's not necessarily because I'm looking for the 
to drop wisdom bombs all over the place like Yoda. And I'm just like, you know, just dropping quotable uh, phrases all over the place. It's not, it has nothing to do with that. It is hard in the paint. Huh? Hard in the paint. Huh? In the paint. <laughs> um, it is, it is more about the idea that like at some point you hope that what you say helps somebody. And if it does help somebody to, to be able to, at some point for them to figure things out, then, then that's what, that's what I do it for. Um, so I, I, I thank you. That's a good question to ask. And that's a good thing to remember. Dude, yeah. You know what I love about coaching kids? What? Is sometimes like the most sarcastic things you say to kids is the most impactful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like I remember I told a goalkeeper, said, well, if you stop letting in goals, we might have a chance. <laughs> and no lie, the next game, she balled out yeah. and only gave up one goal against a really good team. There you go. And I was like, she said, Coach, I only let it one. <laughs> I was like, well, we just have to score. There you we go. got to score more than the other team. But, yeah, you did a better job this time. That's funny. That's, um, that's something you get from soccer, Dan. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there you he's go. Full of those sarcastic he, phrases. He's definitely full of those quotable sarcastic phrases. Yeah, 100. Don't throw the ball into the other team. You won't turn it over, right? Yeah. Um. All right. Uh, your player of the match. My player of the match is to the U.S. fans, man. Uh, they're getting that boy Balaran Balogun to yeah. to switch his allegiance to pledge his allegiance. Yeah. So rumor has it he was in uh Orlando. He oh, he was he there. Was there. Yeah, not officially there, but he was there. He was shopping. He was, he was going to uh, Magic Orlando game. Magic games. He was there. He said, "Yeah, you could have picked me up from the resort last week. Could have hung out, man. I'm gonna pledge your allegiance." So, <laughs> um, and, no, it's just cool to see that. Uh, you know, kind of going back to what you were talking about with the Argentinians going to Italy. Like the yeah. U.S. are coming out here looking for guys too. Yeah. Now the problem is. Um, you don't want to oversaturate the forward market. No. So then you got because, too many players, not enough spots. Well, yeah, because it's forward. I think forward is a unique. I mean, everybody's about who's trending upwards, but forward is definitely like forward and goalkeeper, like the two positions, like who's hot right now. But you also try to have to try to find confidence within the players. Yeah. Like it's about like Ricardo Pepe scored a couple goals this period. He's hot. He wasn't hot in November. And no. September when it was time to go to the World Cup. Yeah. Comes back. Now he's hot. Like, so for Falarin, who's at Arsenal currently on loan, it's going to be like, he be consistent, always be hot. He'll, he'll yeah. be the next, he, he score a lot of goals. Yeah. So give it to my US fans. There you go. Um, You're my, Hudson, man, actually. Really. Mine, mine goes to Kyle Graves. <laughs> Just because. <laughs> he is uh he is AG. He, he's um he's starting to be uh he's starting to I mean yeah we can we can go KG any anything is possible big the big ticket um uh yeah he's uh he's he's becoming very goat like for me I don't know that anybody's ever called Kevin Garnett the goat the goat <clears throat> that was on my Kyle <laughs> Just I don't general. know what kind of basketball channels they have over there in uh, <laughs> in Argentina. Maybe they just showed the Celtics in the Minnesota Timberwolves game. That's what it was. Maybe they were scared of Kevin Garnett, so they just showed his games. 
There you go. Um, all right. On this day in soccer history, this one is straight up for you. For me. Just for you. All right. Uh, I didn't and I didn't put it on our notes just so that way you didn't see it, and I was surprised with it. All right, March 31st, 31st, uh, 1961. 1961. Uh, highest fourth tier attendance in England up to that moment. Uh, 37,774 for a um, fourth division promotion match at Seahurst Park on Good Friday. It was Selhurst Park, huh? Selhurst, yeah. Millwall, Millwall against Palace Boys, yeah. Uh, Millwall, Millwall won two nothing. That's fine. Guess where Millwall is not at right now in 2023. (laughs) You gotta go, yeah. Uh, the Wilt Chamberlain story. You ever heard that story about Wilt Chamberlain? No. He was in the elevator with like a normal person that was like my height, our height. Yeah. And they asked him how the weather was up there. So he spit on him and said, it's raining. <laughs> it's messed up. <laughs> it's messed up. So that's, that's how we feel about Millwall. That's funny. Uh, <laughs> I, I wish I was taller. Because... <laughs> <laughs> you. <laughs> Seriously though, right? Like that's fu- that's some <laughs> it's wrong in so many levels. It's but that wrong. is hilarious. <laughs> that might be the name of the episode. Normally we name it based on something with the with the interview, but uh it, it's gonna be called Dwayne. Do you wish you were taller? <laughs> yeah, because it, it'll be it. And, and no one's gonna pick it up until unless you listen to the last like five minutes of the episode. <laughs> I know a person that listens to the five minute last five minutes of the episode. Yeah, that's right. We do. We do. Big shout out to her. Without her, our our episode from last week would have been messed up. Uh, <laughs> so shout out, shout out to her. Um, all right. Uh, you're Dan Simmons, fair play of the week. To Dan Simmons. To Dan Simmons himself. To Dan Simmons, seriously. Um, on two different things. Um, I mean, he's just Dan Simmons is just the guy, man. Um, I've been you know he's the congratulations first of all i don't know if we congratulate him new juniors director delaware union um but um for him he definitely was um instrumental you know he immediately jumped into the role like he's one of those people that i've read the job description and said these are all the things i need to do yeah um when really the job description is really named after him and the stuff he already does so, um, you know, just instrumental, uh, you know, sending out rec sessions and just like, I'm say, hey, look over these. Is this what you're thinking? Is this something you want to see? Like kind of trying to streamline that, you know, rec to juniors process that if kids are coming into the juniors program, they have this foundational skills, the skills you're looking for so you can build upon them to, you know, make players better. Um, and then, you know, for him, always coming up with those questions the parents always ask, and, and just thinking of those proactively, so that you know everybody else can be proactive. Yeah, like what's the difference between an ID session and a tryout? That's right. Guess what, Dan? It's all tryouts. As of ten fifty-five, everything's a tryout. There you go. Um, that's good. I like. I like that. Yeah, Dan. Dan's always uh, and now he's he's now he's he's catching up on episodes, which is nice. 
just catching up on episodes. Yes. I, I want to know if Dan knows all he's got three teams now. He's still picking up kids. <laughs> he texted me yesterday about registering a kid yesterday. I wonder if he knows all of his kids' names. I'm sure he does. He's like me in that regard. I don't know. He was calling him Kid Freddy. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only thing that makes me worry. <laughs> Freddy. Shout out to Freddy. Uh, <laughs> um, all right. Well, remember, follow us on Instagram at DE Soccer Podcast at D Soccer Podcast. Thanks for joining us this week. And remember, always receive the ball on your front foot.